0: Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel, Tennis Podcast. Uh, Jamie and I are both in the studio, try as we did to uh, get some guests. We could not coordinate ATP playing schedules. Uh, darn you Cincinnati schedulers who put uh, Riley Opelka on late last night. So Jamie and I are going to preview the U.S. Open a bit, talk about some tennis themes of August, and just have a bit of, uh, of tennis chat here. Jamie, I will bring you in. And uh, relieve you from producing duties. Good morning.
1: Not relieve me. I have to do both.
0: You are uh, you are moonlighting as our producer and our esteemed guest today. Uh, everything good?
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure to have do you. Do I count you, as an in-studio guest? Of
0: course you do. You and I are collaborators in this uh, in this small enterprise. So uh, first of all, I, I feel like I believe in uh, I believe in full media transparency. I think that's a theme that uh, we all should hit on to douse the uh, media conspiracy that. Is bogus and offends me so much. So uh, in perfect transparency, I will say that we had a few guests lined up. Uh, Yesterday, I talked to Bianca Andrescu, who was delightful to talk to. Unfortunately, our audio quality did not uh, make for a good podcast. She was in a hotel. I was in a hotel. And we had a lovely conversation. It was not uh, suitable for podcast use. We kept dropping in and out on each other. We were also supposed to talk to Riley Opelka um he played late last night exactly uh it was 10 o'clock at night and riley opelka was still at it with uh born of church so riley has given us a rain check understandably no hard feelings um i don't want to make you feel like uh jamie you were our third choice it's lovely to have you here but uh (laughs) no i I feel like this, this is part of a deeper theme that we can talk about another time but i feel like a lot of the media skepticism and paranoia would uh maybe diminish a little bit if just processes were explained a little more. So all this is a very long-winded way of saying you and I are going to talk some tennis. We had some guests lined up. It didn't work out. So be it. And uh, welcome. So let us pivot. I was writing about 10 storylines heading into the U.S. Open in tennis. And I sort of dashed them off off the top of my head. And maybe I thought we would do this part in the interruption style. And I would just start in. What are some storylines? Obviously, the draw is not out yet. We don't even have seatings. But we do have these tennis storylines and the twisty fable that is uh, professional tennis. And I think the number one storyline in tennis right now, I would say, is this ongoing goat race and this Federer-Nadal-Djokovic in every event, one way or another, no matter how the plot twists, has this real historical echo. And I think sometimes we're very concentrated on the short term and we're looking at who wins what match and could Federer beat Nadal and Djokovic in succession? No, he couldn't. And Djokovic defends his Wimbledon title, but we sometimes need to step back and say, boy, there is a lot of history residing on a a few select points here. So right now it's 20 Federer, 18 Nadal, 16 Djokovic, um, and we are now headed to our fourth major of 2019.
1: And I feel like between those three, anyone could take it, right? I mean, I think we have a little bit of a a favorite given Djokovic and and where he's coming from out of Wimbledon, but really anyone could take it. Um, You know, I, I read... Uh, Roger Federer saying something about him being half broken uh, from Wimbledon and how he went away with the family and he, you know, tried to recover from it and it's it's interesting to hear him say that. uh, You know, we we sort of said, um, especially when we talked to Pat, that that was really a critical match for him and it was unfortunate to see you know him lose and and you know, it was great to see Djokovic defeat him in that way, but interesting to hear him say. Uh, I, I kind of lost some sleep, and that one really hurt.
0: A little bit broken, I fear, is like a little bit pregnant. Um, <laughs> if, if there are fractures there, that's that's not a good thing. It's funny because Federer, I mean, Paul Anacone, who knows Roger as well as anyone, says this all the time, that one of his great assets is...
1: Forgetfulness. Good, yeah, forgetfulness,
0: exactly. Like, like no, I, I, don't know I don't know if it's good short-term memory or bad short-term memory, but basically, he, he moves on. He does not look in the rearview mirror. He looks in the front windshield. And yet, when you have match points at age almost 38 with all this history online to win Wimbledon, the event that you've owned for 15 years on and off and don't convert. I, I don't know how a, uh, a human being can put, put that out of sight and sort of exercise that easily. So uh, Cincinnati is the first veteran appearance since that match. And he did not, you know, he, you, I, I noticed he was not especially uh, effusive on social media. You sort of wonder where he was. He didn't, I don't, I don't believe Grant, any interviews in that time. And I think this is a, a real storyline. I think you're right. No, and I think your, your other point is well taken as well. Nadal looked terrific winning Montreal. You could say Federer and Djokovic weren't there, and Kyrgios went out early, and it, you know, he beat a, a tired Medvedev in, in the final. But Nadal, I thought, looked terrific. And Djokovic is Djokovic. The, uh, the, the Salieri is, is turning into the Mozart. I mean, Djokovic right now is really, even among the big three, Playing the best of uh, of that trio, so I think um, we can sort of segue to the second uh, a second theme that I have going into the U.S. Open, which is just this persistent question of where is the bench in men's tennis, and where where is the uh, the next set of players that are going to push the big three? Would you agree with me? Considerable upset if Federer, Djokovic, or Nadal did not win the U.S. Open, as they have every major since the 2016 U.S. Open when uh, Stan Vavrinka three years ago definitely broke through.
1: I feel like in past, uh, you know, months, past majors, we were saying, you know, maybe there's a chance someone else can with certain things. Uh, but now, looking back, reflecting on the year, I mean, heading into the final major, there is just no way. And it would be a huge upset. And I think it would have to be, you know, one of those Yelena Ostapenko moments or something where somebody just has an insane two weeks and, all of a sudden comes out and you know there's there's some had to be some other big upsets along the way i mean it will take a lot of things from the tennis gods to make uh someone besides one of those three to win
0: sidebar as long as he brought it up man these are rough times for uh jelena <laughs> that is looking more like a gaston gaudio lightning in a bottle one hit wonder um but no i think going back to the men i, th- I think you're right and i just some of this is you say boy there are 125 players are really really good so someone's got to step up, and yet you sort of go process of elimination. And do you trust Kyrgios? I mean, Nadal just rolled Medvedev. Zverev does not appear to be uh, in the headspace to win seven best-of-five matches. You sort of tick off the candidates one by one. Dominic Thiem on hard courts. Is on, you know, you—I I don't know. Do you, would you think—I uh, mean, literally, Tsitsipas, just go down the list. Felix has had a rough uh, hard court stretch so far. I, mean, I just don't see a candidate. And
1: you look back to last year— uh, you know, had Del Potro in the final uh, against Djokovic. And he, you know, Del Potro struggled this year with injuries once again. So even looking back and, and trying to find somebody that could potentially, um, you know, outside of the big three, challenge one of them,
0: there's. Uh, I, got, I got nothing. Yeah. Um, all right. And I, again, just final wrap on that. Best of five versus best of three is just such a huge difference and it's, it's tough enough to beat those three guys but when you have five sets and they know that they've got that extra set to let the opponent get hot and then cool off i think that makes a big difference okay um another topic i had was serena williams in the quest for 24 which uh, has taken her longer than um certainly she would have liked or expected the good news for serena she has made three major finals in the last five majors, she's made the final three times. The bad news, she has not sealed the deal in, in any of those. Um, thoughts thoughts on uh, Serena?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, against Andrescu, you know, not, not good to see her uh, in tears right. or um, in that case. But she does seem very much committed to this summer swing, which we really haven't seen Serena in this part of the summer before the U.S. Open in a long time. As committed, you know, playing, I think, she played four consecutive or she will be playing four consecutive matches. And that's going to be the first time in a long time that she's, uh, you know, doing that day after day after day um, in these tournaments that aren't majors. So good to see. uh, And I don't know. I think, you know, she gets locked in and we've seen her make finals, but it's really going to come down to the nerves. I mean, you, if you fast forward to the U S open final and Serena is standing there, I don't think anyone's surprised. I think the way she handles that is going to be very, very interesting because I think everyone thought at Wimbledon that that was going to be her moment for 24, and nerves got the best
0: of her. Can you imagine, if she makes the U.S. Open final, imagine the pressure. So there's the history of last year. I mean, there's the history of last year. There's the history of history. There is the fact that she will almost be 38 years old. How many more opportunities? And how do
1: you how do you even prepare? I mean, you know, you can get your fitness back, you can get your she can hit as many forehands as she wants on the practice courts, but how do you prepare for that moment? I mean, it's just a different kind of mental training that I can't even begin to wrap my head around.
0: Unprecedented,
1: especially after Wimbledon, Mm -hmm. and when I'm pretty sure she knows damn well that that was a
0: Jamie (laughs) language. Sorry.
1: That was a, you know, that was a big mental breakdown for her.
0: Right. Um, Don Van Natta at ESPN has, I think I'm allowed to talk about this. Um, he has an an hour special um, titled Backstory, where he does a series on sort of the story behind the story. And he, I, I've, I've seen the screener for the one that's forthcoming on Serena and the U.S. Open and what happened at the 2018 final. Um, and what you realize watching that is, that there is so much accumulated history here. And she's won the U.S. Open you know, half a dozen times, including in 1999 for the first time, 20 years ago. So there's been a lot of success on you know, Arthur Ashe Stadium. It's incredible. There has also been an awful lot of, of heartbreak and feeling aggrieved, and there's a lot of history that she'll have to overcome. So I, you know, you, you mentioned her play in Toronto. I think there are a lot of reasons for optimism. You know, She went and outplayed Naomi Osaka, who's number one in the world. So Serena Williams is coming off a tournament in which she has beat the number one player in the world. We're not talking about that, though. We're talking about the fact that she then barely posted for the final, retired in tears at 3-1, to and a lot of questions about fitness. I mean, I I guess where I come down on this, and it's not dissimilar to Federer, is that a lot has to go right in a way that it didn't when she was in her prime. I mean, she needs the draw to cooperate. She needs her body to cooperate. She needs the weather to cooperate. She needs the schedule to cooperate. And yet, that can happen I mean, a lot has to go right, but a lot can go right.
1: I think the tears, too, for me, were an indicator of, um, you know, I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can. You know, I the, the whether it was back spasms or whatever injury that, that forced her to retire, it wasn't something, I don't think, related to, to fitness. I think it's one of those things where your body is breaking down. You know, you wake up in the morning and— you, your, your back hurts or, you know, you, you go bend down to pick something up and you, you pull a back muscle. I mean, right. it happens to anyone, but it's one of those things where you could be in incredible shape and something slips or, you know, whatever the case is in your body and it, it really debilitates you. And I feel like her, the tears were a sign of her. Um, you know, I think she even said to her, like, it's been a rough year and, and it really it really just shows you she's she's human she's trying she's really working through all this stuff and um she's trying to get match play and and trying to get her body ba- back to you know a place where she can trust it i think that that the tears were very much frustration where she was trying to do something and her body just wasn't letting it happen
0: right and i think there was also the i'm i'm playing good tennis i'm probably in the best shape i've been in since my return from maternity leave and now you got to throw a back injury at me? I mean, the, the one thing I would point out, though, if I were in her camp, I would say to her, with an extra day, a back will unseize. Right. When you play the U.S. Open and you have a day off between matches, this kind of injury probably is not going to be debilitating the way it is when you've got to play a semifinal and come back less than 24 hours later and play the final.
1: But this is the sort of conundrum because she needs the match play. Yeah, exactly. This is the consecutive mm-hmm. days that she, she needs to be playing in order to get back to that place. And then this kind of thing happens. So you know, someone in her camp, the devil's advocate in her camp, says, "Well, you know what? If you didn't play this tournament, and you know, we just streamlined your schedule and prepared for the U.S. Open. You know, there's
0: there's always that right. that flip side. So no, it's a very delicate balance at this yep. point in her career. And you could, you know, same same thing again. I mean, Federer, Nadal, even to some extent, Djokovic. This whole game right now is as much about making these strategic decisions to extend the career as it is. Winning matches uh, with a player on the other side of the net. So, um, all right, another uh, new topic. I think um, we've mentioned Osaka. This is our defending champion. This is a player who won the last hardcore major. Uh, I haven't heard much from her. It's been uh, very strange and slow going since uh, the last weekend in January for Naomi Osaka. She inherited the number one ranking, so she'll come in as, as the top player. She'll the, likely be the top seed. Um, but that was as much by default when um, Barty and, and Plechkova lost in, in Toronto. I mean, yeah. So the um, strange times for our defending champion.
1: Interesting to see how she reacts coming back to it all. You know, we go back right. to... We talk about the significance of the U.S. Open from last year for Serena, but that was not a great scene for Naomi, and I know they've talked about it endlessly and, you know, no hard feelings. I was very happy, but... Naomi Osaka was winning her first major, crying on the podium. And I think that's a difficult thing for people. I mean, you know, even us, we we use photos from previous years uh, at the U.S. Open to tease and and promote and preview the tournament. And you look back at the championship photos, those photos of Naomi Osaka aren't...
0: The first words out of her mouth as a first-time Grand Slam champion were basically words of apology. I'm sorry, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, So I think... She's probably grown tremendously since that moment, but as you say, it's been a strange lead-up uh, to the U.S. Open. So, and and all eyes will be on her um, heading in.
0: I, I'm just sort of baffled by the whole uh, metabolism of Naomi Osaka. She wins the U.S. Open, and it turns into this absolute frenzy. So, never mind the circumstances. She is a Grand Slam champion, Japanese player. She has this this backstory. She's playing exhibitions. She's traveling all over the world. A Tennis Channel, we went to Haiti with her um, in, in November, December, and she seemed to be handling it pretty well and juggling a lot of obligations and finding a nice balance between, you know, candidly ca- cashing in on this opportunity. We don't begrudge anyone that. Um, and yet, sort of keeping her sanity, she goes to Australia and she wins the very next major. And you say, this is a real statement. This is someone who has just said, you know what, new sheriff in town, to come after that U.S. Open final and win the subsequent hardcore major. She beats, you know, she beats Patrick Fedevan in a a very taut final. And you say, boy, this is, it's Naomi Osaka time. And it was like, then the wave crashed. So after winning the U.S. Open, she had the whole fall and did just fine, won the next major. And then the pressure really seems to have mounted. And she changed her clothing contract. Mm -hmm. And she made a coaching change we've talked about. And she... You know, there there was this lawsuit that got very little attention, surprisingly. But I think, sort of, ca- cast some light and probably was a bit of a distraction. So it was almost as if uh, sort of things things held off, and then finally, after that second major, the wave crashed. I don't know if you saw she had a social media post um, maybe two weeks ago, sort of talking about how really she hasn't been happy since the Australian Open, I and mean, I think her her candor is very admirable, but. Um, you do sort of wonder if she wouldn't benefit from uh, a bit of a, a bit of a vacation, or you know, or, or conversely, like you say, maybe she returns to the scene of the crime and she's back to playing great, hardcore. Tennis. I mean, she played terrific, terrific tennis for seven rounds in 2018. But I, I think very intriguing player. She is seated number one. I don't think she will be the favorite with um, a lot of prognosticators.
1: And I think we forget she's only 21.
0: 21, and uh, and she's not 21 either. I mean, she's 21 chronologically. I mean, I think she would readily admit to this that maybe from an emotional maturity standpoint she's not 21.
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's such a huge factor. We talk about contrasting that with someone like Serena, uh you know at her point in, in her career, her age, uh she's dealing with completely different things than Osaka is and she's still finding herself and the whole uh, candor about <clears throat> her being happy and you know she's still really like a young kid searching searching for herself searching for what's going to make her happy and how that's going to uh happen and it's um, it's interesting like you said uh when she returns to the scene of the crime i think she will obviously there will be much more media attention she'll she'll go to the draw um you know all these things that that as a defending champion you have to do so we'll see uh, i think her her draw her draw will be important um right. for sure so uh
0: all right let's uh let's a nice segue to uh, our next Pardon the interruption topic for the U.S. Open 2019, Vague Themes, which is, uh, you mentioned young players. How about um, about teenagers? Uh, I did not anticipate we would be seeing, uh, we we all sort of thought the teenager was an extinct species in tennis, (laughs) and uh, now here come a number of them, especially on the women's side. And we talked about Coco Gauff, who had a breakthrough at at Wimbledon, and while she's played sparingly since, Um, she will be at the U.S. Open. We can talk about Amanda Anastomova, who very quietly is uh climbing the ranks. And I will tell you that uh she is a veteran of this building. She was telling me um she has she has family that work in the same building as we are. So you may uh-huh. see her in the food court. All right, more importantly, um uh-huh. boy, Bianca Andrescu is really something. Thirty-eight and four on the year. She won Indian Wells, played Miami and won a few matches there and then got hurt. We haven't seen much of her since. And then she comes back at her home tournament in Toronto and Runs the table.
1: Yeah, I mean, incredible. Like you incredible. said, she disappears, um, and you sort of were really worried about her. We talked about it a little bit, but really concerning. 19 years old, shoulder injury already, uh, especially after her um, crazy rise up, you know, Indian Wells. She's and, and I think it's important to note that in her rise, she was not beating,
0: you know, she's beating top players. She's played seven top ten players, 7-0. and oh.
1: I mean, it's it's she's not beating players in the hundreds and two right, hundreds. I right. mean, these are quality, quality players, quality wins. So I think that's important. Then she sort of has this injury, and and we're concerned about her. Um, you know, we we miss her for a major, um, and now she's back. And I know you you said earlier that we're supposed to have her on, but you asked her about about injuries and everything. So I want to ask you about her response. What did she say?
0: I uh, I have a transcript here. I want to read you two things. Uh, first of all, she said. You know injuries just suck. You're sitting. I mean, she's she's very candid. I, mean, I gotta just backing up. Um, I, I wrote this actually. I, I think I tweeted it. it very hard not to like. I mean, she is. It's from the Danielle Collins school of. Uh, I'm I'm here to play ball. What you see is what you get. And um, I, of, I, I like that I'm, kind of. I I love it. <laughs> and this. I mean, this is a competitive business, and she's Agree. really good. She's number 14 in the world. She's won 38 matches this year. Like it would be strange if she were, sort of. Falsely modest. um No, she talked about injuries a lot, and you know what she said to Serena after the match was, you know, trust me, I know injuries suck. And part of me, I wonder if Serena's like, you know, girl, I was winning majors before you were born. I'm, I'm good here. But uh um no, she's, she's had a number of injuries when we talked about the shoulder, but also she had a heavy thigh wrap. She had her feet checked. I mean, she's Andrescu We're talking about has had her share of injuries already at age nineteen, which I think is a little concerning. And she said, look, it sucks. I mean, it's the worst part of being a pro athlete. You are home. Her quote to me, uh, if I could find it, you're sitting on your ass and uh, you're not doing what you want to do and everyone else is playing and winning. That sucks. It's pretty candid. Um, it's something she's dealing with. She said the one thing about being injured is you really reassess everything. You reassess your training, your recovery, your nutrition, how you're working out. So she said this is giving me a time to uh, sort of reflect on how I'm leading my career and what can I do to try and prevent some of these injuries. This is my uh, my money quote that I will read to you, Jamie. So I, I ask her, uh, quote, no, I ask her, uh, what's it like now when you walk in the locker room? What's your perception of how you're being perceived? Hmm. And she says, well, I know a lot of people are starting to know my name and they know that I can be a challenge if uh, I were to see them. I don't show it, obviously, but I feel like I'm one of the top players right now. Yeah, you could say I'm feeling really confident. Um, nice. It sort of sounded better if the audio quality had enabled us <laughs> to uh, hear this from the horse's mouth, but uh, yeah, she, um, there, there is not a, wow, this is amazing, this is surreal, I'm just happy to be here. I mean, you do not get the feeling this is someone who is bowled over by their success. I mean, no, she's this like,
1: is what she's wanted yeah, to right, do. Exactly. She's doing it's it, nice. and she's like, hey, I'm here, and uh, Deal with it It sucked that I was injured, right. but now I'm back, so hello. That's,
0: she's, yeah. she's 14 in the world, and for all intents, I mean, she, she played Miami, didn't play, she, she won one match at the French Open and couldn't play another, she didn't play Wimbledon. I mean, this is someone who will most likely... Qualify for Shenzhen, and um, she's won basically one Grand Slam match so far. I hope. Um, I
1: hope that the um, you know it's good to hear that it the injury helped her recess things. I think we we talk about that a lot. How sometimes that pause, that break mm-hmm. allows players to come back. But you hope that it doesn't become um, a nagging injury, something that continues to bother her. You know, I hope that when she, I think at a certain point she kind of was steamrolling. You know, I'm winning. I'm playing, and then we talked about this. But you, it, it becomes um, something that just puts blinders on you. You ignore the pain, you ignore the little things, maybe because things are so great, you can keep winning. Oh my gosh, and you just right. keep going. Maybe now she'll be a little bit more um, aware of her body and how she's feeling, and if there is a little pinch or something uh, that's that's bothering her, she can take care of it because you don't. I, I would be unfortunate to see her. Um, spiral into just chronic injuries and shoulders. Shoulders are necessary.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. you, uh, the Maria Sharapova will attest to that. A, sh- a shoulder injury in this sport is no joke. And I, I should point out, too, that Andrescu, we spoke, uh, she was in a hotel in Toronto, so she did not play Cincinnati this week, which I think is a wise decision. Um, Alright, another uh, theme during the U.S. Open. Um, Could we give some love to Simona Hollop? Yes. She won the previous major. Um, and <laughs> I feel like for a variety of reasons, some of them, uh, her her game, this sort of offense-defense mix is a, a purest delight, but it's it's not a Nick Curios, necessarily the, the flashiest game she has. She's been around a while. She's had some heartbreaking in finals. Uh, I think you can make a fairly strong case over the last three years. She's played as well as anyone. She has won the previous major, and we don't talk about her enough, so uh, let's... Spend 90 seconds. Yeah, we can on, do uh, that. I, I, how.
1: I agree with you. I think she is in a good space right now. You want to talk about someone who's feeling confident, but also she's almost like cruising. She's the tops down. She's in the convertible. Like she's definitely um, feeling good. I think obviously Wimbledon helped, but she's she's working through injuries, and I think you can just tell uh, by her demeanor. I feel that she's in good place, which. Simona in a good place is a uh, is a good thing. She did not. I don't know if you saw a syrup tasting um, videos, oh, I but see. She, Nick McHarvel's, uh
0: <laughs> I did. I did not see that.
1: She was not very good um, at identifying uh, syrups. I don't think
0: there go a U.S. Open chance. Syrup Forget and honey it. is is her
1: mm-hmm. thing, but
0: all right, we she has other assets. <laughs> um, the comeback player of the year in tennis so far. I would make the case is not a competitor, but the sub sport, the discipline of doubles. Ah. which um you know we, we are not we're never gonna see the back and row martina days of, of players winning majors in both singles and doubles but what we are seeing are a number of players entering these draws it's great for the fans it's great for the crowds it's great for TV and I would say it's really smart by the players and some of it is just getting out there under match conditions with a scoreboard and ball kids and a, a chair umpire that's a lot different from a practice session it gives you a chance to Work on new skills. I think just sort of temperamentally, it's a good idea. The scheduling is what makes it tricky, and I think uh, that's always been the drawback. of Look, I love doubles, but I can't risk sitting around right. and, and having then the a rain deeper delay. you go, exactly.
1: The, it's just not becomes to be not worth it anymore as a, a singles player. Yeah,
0: but having said that, it's uh, it's great. I mean, I think that um, I love to see tennis figure out ways. To, and whether it's, it's combining rankings or whether it's, I would even say, shorter sets, anything we can do to get Sitsipas and Nick Kyrgios on the same side of the net, anything we can do to get Ash Barty to keep playing with Azarenka, right. it's really been a nice positive trend. I think you know we'll see what happens at the U.S. Open. Again, one impact of all the prize money going up at the majors is that it really becomes these four events where players are targeting their play. And right. if that means pulling out the week before, they're going to pull out. If that means... Cutting out of doubles, especially on the men's side that. where you have th- three or five. Yeah, they're going to do that. But um, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to me to see which of these teams stick together. Well, Andy Murray played doubles at the U.S. Open, for example. Mm-hmm. But it's been uh, it's been a really positive trend that I think that if I'm a tennis administrator and m- even mixed as well, I- I'm doing everything to see what I can do to accelerate this.
1: Well, we saw it, uh, I want to say, maybe even like four years ago now, three years ago, when Indian Wells had the million dollar wasn't in some million dollar incentive um and i mean everyone played federer played and that was a great uh you know it was great to see all of them out there and of course i mean who knows whether it was for the money or for fun maybe a little bit of both but maybe it does take some combination of that sort of thing between as you said the money shorter sets or something just to keep it going i mean andy murray is definitely highly entertaining uh in doubles or just generally but it's it's good to see him out there and he he did say he won't play singles at the mm-hmm. u.s open that's um, of,
0: the of five just too much to ask for
1: so hopefully we do see him in doubles though
0: uh someone had the idea from that it indian wells always gets doubles good doubles fields for a variety of reasons a lot of it's just you've got days off and that point on the calendar and the, the conditions are are preferable for doubles but someone said you could do that million dollar challenge and roll that over to miami so uh Steve Ross. Um, it's been a bit, big big week for uh, for Steven Ross, by the way. Um, but uh, I'm surprised. Just sidebar. Steve Ross. We've, you've been reading about the, the Trump fundraiser and, and some of the, um, the protests that that triggered and um, memberships to Equinox being uh, turned in on account of that. It's very interesting to me that uh, tennis did not seem to either care or draw the connection that this is the man who now owns the Miami event. But uh, anyway, um, Steve, Steve Ross should take over that million-dollar challenge from Larry Ellison, and they should just roll it over. And if you don't win uh, singles and doubles in, in Indian Wells, and, you know, I mean, Do- Dominic Team, for example, who won Indian Wells, that's someone who plays a nice game of doubles. That's a nice inducement. But uh, ro- roll over that million-dollar challenge to the double winner and just keep, um, it, going. keep it going. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Finally, I mean, I think that the U.S. Open, great event, last four, uh, last of the four majors of the year. A lot of plot lines, a lot of storylines, a lot of stakes, um, but there are also a lot of political stakes. We have made uh, a bit of a vow, and I think this is, in in some ways, uh, responding to reader and and consumer interest that the politics that often intrigue those of us who who walk the halls aren't quite as interesting to the casual fan. But um, while Federer, Nadal, Serena are competing, there's going to be a lot of intrigue and a lot of competing in various boardrooms at the tennis center and in midtown Manhattan hotels. There is a lot of tennis politics that still needs to be resolved. A lot of positions that need to be filled. Um, Federer and Nadal both as a, as a team, as a, as as a unit decided to re uh, politics and rejoin the, the players council, which I think is uh, a good sign. I think it's very intriguing. I think you could do a nice reality show if you ever, uh, We're able to roll tape on some of those meetings and uh, especially the dynamics with a certain Mr. Djokovic. But um, I think that this is sort of bubbling under the surface. There's a lot of roiling right now and um, we'll see how this all resolves itself. I said the sport's like a swan where it looks proud and regal and elegant above the surface and then underneath (laughs) it's scrambling and paddling <laughs> ugly feet underwater um so we'll see how some of this politics resolves itself
1: it's a good uh full circle here because we started with the big three controlling oh, nice. controlling everything on the court and uh we
0: leverage. end with this exactly. and uh
1: these guys are also doing it off the court and really leading the sport so big shoes to fill all around and they,
0: they should be these are uh these are mm. three guys that have a lot of leverage they should be using that leverage um okay that uh that doesn't for this week. Jamie, am I allowed to say what's uh, going on in your life for the rest of the month and why we did this uh, quasi-U.S. Open preview in the middle of August?
1: Sure. I mean, it's not just me, but we're both... Uh, we're both. I'm going on uh, vacation. Yes. Do you have i <laughs> I'm getting married. There we go. <laughs> All right.
0: I was waiting for you to admit that. Yes. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. But that's why um, we are doing this a week early. So, um, anyway, eventually we will get uh, Riley Opelka, who... Uh, I don't know if he's—he's he's a listener. He's been very, uh, been very, um, interested in appearing, and that's great. Always happy to—we'll uh, get him on to have guests. Maybe we'll even get him in studio. High ceilings here in the podcast room, uh, <laughs> But that will do it for uh this week. Just um some tennis chatter. Again, you are not going to be around next week. I'm not going to be around next week. And then the U.S. Open starts. We'll try to do some podcasts from there. But um, have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the Open. Go to both the Bronx Tennis Challenger and the um. And the U.S. Open Qualities. if you're a New York tennis fan, they are both open to the public, great players, and free. And that'll do it for this week. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We will have another podcast.